There he is. Welcome to episode 71 of Stick to Hockey Live. Jason Matitas back from the beach. Post-draft development camp going on. And there he is. Montreal. Sun's out, guns out. Anthony DeMarco. What's up, brother? Very, very hot. Very, very hot. So I apologize for the attire today, but uh, this is actually my last podcast hit. And let well, regular scheduled podcast hit. Probably going to take some time off after development can't. I think we all need it, yourself included. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. Things will slow down. It's one thing, Ant, that hockey does really well. Shutter down after free agency and all the whirlwind that comes with it. And as you guys call it up there in the Great White North, the cottage season but everybody shuts it down pretty good they unplug pretty well i'm pretty impressed by it yeah i mean once you get into mid-july there's nothing that much to talk about like in the world of flyers i'm sure we'll get some rfa signings soon we got one in ronnie adder today um you know cam york noah cates morgan frost obviously the big three that are expected to be signed sometime between now and the end of this and the end of the off season but i mean aside from that I don't know if we're going to see anything major, major on the Flyers front. Like, I think the only outside chance would maybe be Carter Hart, but nothing's moving on that front until the Hockey Canada stuff is uh, regulated and finds itself a resolution. But uh, I think for the major, major part, the Flyers have are pretty much done for the summer. Uh, let, let me ask you about that. When is, you said resolution with the Hockey Canada stuff. When the, is resolution, by the way? I mean, I had heard shortly after the cup final, then I believe it was Frank Saravalli who said he it could expect it to happen kind of in the dead of summer when no one's paying attention, which I mean would be very NHL-esque uh, if they just dropped that news like last week of July or first week of August. But it feels like, I believe Bill Daly has even said that they've concluded their investigation and obviously they have to work in concert with the London police. So, I mean... I would expect sometime before mid-August, but I mean, we all know that the NHL tries to do, catch everybody off guard, especially with these controversial type of uh, situations. Well, th- they have to almost come out in a particular order, don't they? Is it what comes out first, the Hockey Canada investigation, the police investigation or the NHL investigation? Well, I mean, I would imagine the police investigation is the one who's yeah, kind of controlling so. all of this because you're dealing with the law. And then Hockey Canada would probably, like, I, I would imagine Hockey Canada is third because they've already kind of brought the hammer down in some capacity. Like the entire organization has been overhauled. The leadership of Hockey Canada has been yeah. overhauled. So I would imagine it's the London police force, then the NHL, and then Hockey Canada. But I mean, it's anyone's guess at this point. I just think that you will get some kind of a resolution before the, the start of the season. Because I think the NHL has concluded their investigation, and I imagine they're just waiting on the London police force. Yeah, I think you're right. And eventually we can get all that kind of on the present and move forward and with the results and, and go from there. And we haven't talked since the draft. I was on down the shore, and we haven't done an episode in a couple of weeks here. And I know you wrote a piece on the fourthperiod.com. Great stuff there about the Flyers being committed to the rebuild. Let's kind of start with with the draft and – you know, Matt Bay-Meechkoff is, is the guy they get in the draft. And Dan Silver has put out a lot of good, a lot of, a lot of great people on Twitter putting out great info on Meechkoff. I don't have time to compile all this stuff and find it and all that stuff. But these guys do a great job. And at Silver 88 put this out. He put, here's how Matt Bay-Meechkoff's 18-year-old KH season compares to some other Russian stars. Ovechkin played 53 games, 13 and 11, 0.45 points per game. Malkin in 34 games, 0.35 points per game. 
Kaprizov, 0.26 in 31 games. Kucherov only played nine, but 0.22. And Panarin only played five and 0.20. And Michkov in 30 games, nine goals, 11 assists, 0.67 average points per game for the young Russian. Um, what do you think of the pick? And are you surprised that everything kind of unfolded the way it did with getting Michkov to the Flyers training center under the cover of darkness, actually in the middle of the day playing air hockey? Uh, you know, I think it was a good pick. I think when you've been preaching high-end talent or lack thereof for 18 months, if you had a chance to take high-end talent, you had to do so, even if that comes with an inherent risk like it does with Matt Mitchkov. And good on the Flyers, right, for really doing their due diligence and trying to wow this kid and trying to really make sure that if they pick this kid, it will not be for for nothing. And I think that what they did by bringing him in into Voorhees the week before and then meeting him once again in Nashville was indicative of how serious they were about taking Matthew Mitchkov. And the fact that they aren't expecting him to be here for at least one year, probably two years, possibly three years, is indicative that they are willing to see this thing out through the long term if it takes that. And I do think it's fair to say and I think Danny Briere has been very transparent about this through his media availabilities, is that they have no set timeline, right? Like they haven't put a, like a hard timeline or a time constraint on when they want to be competitive. It's going to be a lot based on how these kids develop and a lot of that will have to do with the, as my cat tries to get in, um, but a lot will have to do on the player development staff that they just overhauled now headed by Armstrong and Schultz. But uh, I really think that the Michkov pick is a, show, a, a dawn of a new era in a way and not just trying to go for the short-term fix. I, I know it kind of freaks people out a little bit, the three years, he's got the three-year KHL contract. But most players, even first-rounders, like Tyson Forster was drafted in 2020. And it's been, what, three years. Not a regular okay. NHL yet. That's actually normal kind of, time frame for guys to get to the NHL to go through whether they go back to junior or overseas or college or whatever. Um, and, but Michkov, the thing about it is, is they develop players well in the KHL that, you know, they come over ready. It's a good league. They play against men, really good. It's a different game. But um, the other thing is, is if he does say it could take three years, the good news about that is this, is that he's just signing his ELC three years from now and you're getting a more finished product in three years on an ELC deal. There are a lot of advantages for him not coming over right away, because let's be honest, let's say Matthew Mitchkov was going to play in the NHL this season. Are the Flyers a cup contender? No. Are they a playoff team? Maybe, but all in all, they would be best served to have another year where Maybe not bottom out. I know that Danny Beer said they don't believe in tanking, which I think most teams don't. But I don't think that there would be a major advantage to having Matt Faye Mitchkov here immediately. Now, after that, you know, I think the Flyers could be a competitive playoff team as early as 24-25, depending on how things break their way. I mean, what happens with the development of Morgan Frost, Tyson Forster, Cam York, Emil Andre? Like, they still have a lot of good players already playing on their team or professionally with the Phantoms, including goaltenders and Urson. Uh, what ends up happening with Fedotov? Does he come over? Does he not? And I think that Mitchkov, maybe beyond next season, would be a benefit to the Flyers to be here. But in the immediate, immediate future, they don't need him here right now. 
And to be honest, they could use another season of trying to figure out what they have with some of their guys who are already here, like a Tippett, like a Farabee, like um, like a Wade Allison, a major season coming up for Wade Allison. So I do think there are a lot of advantages, plus the contractual ones like you just alluded to, to having him only come over in, let's say, one to three years time. Yeah, and you know, there's going to be a lot of semantics and posturing amongst the KHL and uh, the NHL here, but you know, the agreement, if he's under contract there, he can't come play here. He'd have to be let out or bought out. So we'll see where that goes. I think it's going to be interesting dynamic to follow. Uh, Bonk's another guy they get in the first round, 22nd, you know, Gabe Perot was sitting there, you know, and you know, a team that's looking for offense, playing on a great line with Will Smith and, you know, put up a ton of points. Are you surprised they didn't take Perot? Would you go on Perot or over Bonk uh, the London night? You know, I, I, I'm so like, I'm so not a prospect guy. I heard the whole best player available thing, but I had heard that they were looking at Bonk leading up to the draft. And I think that they had always kind of thought in their head that they wanted a defenseman, preferably a right shot with that second pick. And because at that time they didn't know that they were going to have a second round pick, they eventually get back into the second round by trading. I believe it was what a second next year and a fourth this year or something like that. But I, you could say that it was a pick for need. I understand that. But obviously, you know, you get a guy like Bonk who projects to be, if I'm not mistaken, a second pair defenseman, a bigger guy. And we've heard Keith Jones talk about it a lot, that he wants to rebuild that blue line. He wants to restructure that blue line. And they had a guy at the ready as a right shot defenseman who could kind of not fa fall into their lap part uh, particularly, but they had a chance to take him and they did. And obviously Gabe Perot more offensive upside you can make the case that he was the best player available i mean it's tough for me to say because i know that when you have a gap from because after 22nd before they they got back into the second round what was their next pick 74 or something yeah, it was a while it weighs off yeah so by the time that they got back in to got back to the podium would there have been a defenseman worth taking we heard brent flair say that there was good defenseman but it was a shallow pool so i understand why they did it especially given the fact that bonk is a right shot and on the bigger side but you could also make the argument that you have to take best player available all the time yeah and and perot's guy that put up a ton of points um bonk is in development i had a chance to see him a little bit yesterday very smooth uh but there's a rawness to that you know especially bigger frame defenders but the one thing that London does really well is develop NHL guys. They run that thing like that program, like like it's an NHL team. The Hunters are, are hard on them, but they develop them and they get them ready. So um, we'll see how that goes. You know, free agency was interesting because, you know, Torts talked about it all year. You know, what's the next steps of this thing? We're rebuilding. He was kind of the first to, to kind of pin that on the board. And, you know, the first thing he said was all about subtracting. I remember my... Flyers Daily with talking to Torch sometime. He said, you know, like eight guys I, I don't see being here. That's a lot. I mean, on an NHL, it's almost half a, a, you know, a game day roster. And the subtracting has happened with Kevin Hayes, Ivan Proveroff. And, you know, part of – I always said, well, that's fine to subtract, but who's going to be on the roster when the, when the games start? And you can't just have a team full of guys on entry-level contracts trying to prove themselves in the NHL. Because if you're not ready for it, first of all, it's not good for your development. Number two, if you're in the NHL and you're a skilled player, you've got to get minutes. So you can't just put, you know, a Tyson Forster on the fourth line. So they had to get into free agency. They get Paling, uh, they get Garnet Hathaway of note. 
Mark Stahl, and then today they signed Victor Metti. What did you think of the free agent signings? Let's start with Stahl because, you know, he's 36. He's played over 1,100 games, played 82 this year for Florida, played 21 playoff games, been around a long time, but people are going, oh, here are the Flyers grabbing veterans again, and it's going to block kids. Yeah, what it tells me is maybe they're not sure if Ronnie Adderd is ready for the NHL. That's what it kind of tells me. I haven't because seen that he is yet. You don't think so? I don't think he's ready yet. I think he's getting close, but uh, I think ideally they'd like to start him in Lehigh again. I think so. And, you know, I, I think that there is something to be said about not rushing kids. Like, you don't want to block kids, but you also don't want to rush them. And I don't think that a Mark Stahl signing or a Victor Mekde signing, but we'll zero in more on Stahl because he has the one-way deal. I, I don't see how this blocks a kid in any way. He's a veteran guy, has played for Torts. He knows what he's all about. Danny Beer alluded to this in his media availability the other day. And I think he could play either side, like, and right now you have enough capable bodies that if Ronnie Adderd is not ready to start the year in the NHL, you don't have to panic. You don't have to force feed an Adam Ginning or a Helgi Granz or an Emil Andre. If they're not ready, you have enough guys to full out, fill out, rather, easy enough for me to say, a full roster of capable NHL bodies. And then probably even have a guy sitting on the bench. And I mean, if let's say somewhere through the season, uh, Namil Andre or Ronnie Adderd is able to come up and be that guy and step into an NHL role, I don't think anyone has a problem with sitting a Mark Stahl or sitting a Sean Walker or sitting a uh, Nick Sealer. Like at the end of the day, these are all guys who like Torts say, just kind of backfill the youth that they've already kind of invested in, but maybe they aren't quite ripe enough yet. And you know, you look at a lot of the guys who will still will be playing 100% on the back end. And those two guys will be Cam York and Igor Zamula, presumably. And I think Cam York is probably going to be your de facto number one. I think you're going to see Zamula get a lot of the PK time that was previously held by Ivan Provorov. That's a big, massive void and a lot of PK minutes that are now available because Ivan Provorov was moved on from but I, I don't see the harm in bringing in Mark Stahl. You know, I, based on conversations I've had, I'd be very, very surprised if he plays close to 82 games. I think he's going to be someone who comes in and out of the lineup. And I just, I don't really see it being an overly bad thing because I really don't think, and I've been told that any of these moves impacts, you know, blocking a kid in any form or fashion because you could easily sit a Mark Stahl or a Sealer or a Walker if any of the aforementioned kids are ready. Yeah, I think Danny really alluded to that without saying it bluntly in his press availability on Monday where he said, you know, we were very upfront with where we are with Mark Stahl. So that tells you that, hey, you may not play every game. Um, I mean, he may be a guy, too, that you can sell off at the deadline for a fourth-round pick for a playoff run because he brings that that veteran. And, you know, he's played 121 playoff games in his career, 1,100 regular season games. So he's a guy that may be an asset to somebody for some D-depth that's going on a playoff run if presumably the fighters are not going to the playoffs. So, yeah, I, I know people like, you know, freak out about it and, you know, there's different ways to rebuild, but the notion of tearing it all the way down, it was never possible here. It's not possible when you have Sean Couturier on that contract and hasn't played. You can't, the GM on the other side of a deal is not, you know, Helen Keller. Like he's, he, they're aware they're not going to just bail you out. So let's go to Sanheim because he, we know his name was out there. I heard Freach talking about it. You know, it, it may have rattled Sanheim, Sanheim a little bit, 
Um, now he's on a team that knows they were trying to shop him before his new deal kicks in. How does he handle this and kind of just control what he can control and have a bounce back year? And the other part of a bounce back year is he's got to be put in good situations. Is he all of a sudden going to be a top pair right side guy as a left shot with Cam York? And is that a good situation to, to bounce back? Well, I think with Sanheim, I think there's absolutely validity to the notion that he maybe would have gotten rattled by it. You know, I was talking to someone close to Sanheim and I had heard that maybe Sanheim felt it was too awkward to come back and not just Sanheim. Maybe other players felt like, man, how are they going to bring Sanheim back knowing that they were trying to trade him? And I think that the one not a misconception because it's true, but the one talking point has been, well, John Tortorella doesn't like him. John Tortorella wanted him moved on from. And I don't think it's necessarily true. I just think it was maybe a bad first impression for Travis Sanheim under John Tortorella. But the one thing that Sanheim does have in his corner, or who he has in his corner, rather, is Danny Breer. And I'm led to believe that Danny Breer is a fan of Travis Sanheim. And that maybe last year was just a blip on the radar. And the real Travis Sanheim is more of the guy that we saw in 21-22 when he had a really good season. And let's be honest here, like contract aside, you can benefit from having top four quality defensemen playing alongside kids in your top four and Ristolainen's that and Sanheim's that. And, you know, I, I was talking something to someone the other day and when you had Ivan Provorov and Shane Goss's here and Travis Sanheim come up as younger defensemen back in 2016, 17, those years, Provorov was playing with McDonald. Gossespierre was playing with Robert Hag, who was also another young defenseman in his own right and a bottom pair guy at that, or sometimes a Christian Foline. You had Sanheim playing with Rag Kogudis, who's a solid bottom pair guy, but a bottom pair defenseman. And what this one person said is that there's absolutely a benefit to having quality defensemen to play with younger defensemen, especially in top four capacities. And let's say Ronnie Adderd makes the NHL eventually. Would you rather have him playing with Travis Sanheim or playing with Mark Stahl or Nick Sealer? Would you rather have Cam York playing with Sean Walker or would you rather have him playing with Rasmus Ristolainen? So, yes, is there would have there been a benefit to moving on from Sanheim, getting out from that contract before the NPC kicks in, maybe getting more of a veteran in Tory Krug to play that mentorship role? I get that and I do see that how that would have been beneficial. But I don't think hanging on to Travis Sanheim is the worst thing in the world because you still need, need veterans on your roster and not just plug and play veterans like Stahl and Sealer and Walker. You need quality veterans like Aristoline and, and like a Travis Sanheim. I, I, I think that the fact that the Tory crew didn't wave and that deal didn't go through as was constructed, apparently, is a good thing. I was not for that. I'm not for a 32 year old on that contract with Tory Krug. I, I think that's going to end up being one of those ones that go, thank God that deal didn't go through. Sometimes the, the best deals are the ones you don't make. <laughs> the first round pick was the only thing that really was intriguing about that deal. Yeah, but but the first round pick even, you know, you look at it, when you get beyond the middle of the first round, it's basically, you know, a coin flip, whether that guy's even going to make it 200 games in the NHL. Yeah. You know, so I get the the notion of first round picks and, all of that and the value that they hold in today's NHL. And they are so valuable because of the lack of escalation of the cap. But it, when you look at the raw numbers, I mean, when you get to pick 18, it's about a 40% chance that pick 18 through 26 is going to, is going to play 200 games in the NHL. It just doesn't, 
it's not as valuable of a commodity, I don't think, in reality, than that it is. Now, you got to draft well. The Flyers have drafted really well in that range, you know, that 22 range, and, you know, with Claude Drew and Simone Gagne and, and those kind of guys. But, you know, we'll see. Um, I, I think I'm thinking it's good that that element of the trade did not happen. Hayes gone part of that too. But Emil Andre's a guy that, you know, I noticed in development camp, and he, he's a smaller guy, but he is thick. Like he's got a really strong frame and a strong skater. And they were using him a lot on both sides, on the left and the right. Now we know that with the SHL, he's got this deal whether if he's not in the NHL, they, he could have to go back to Sweden. I don't think that would be good for his development at all. I hope that they come to an agreement. And if he doesn't start in the NHL, he can start with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms where he played some last year because sending him back there does nothing for his development. It's either with the Flyers or the Phantoms. And I think it's likely he starts with the Phantoms and, and they work that out. But he's a guy that could be on the come as well. Yeah. And like, presumably, if he goes down to the Phantoms, he's going to be their top dog. Like, I'm yeah. just trying to look at the AHL defenseman that they'll have. Like, Victor Mete is not going to challenge him for that. Yeah, you have you Ronnie know. Adderd maybe on the cusp of AHL and NHL. You have Helgi Granz. Ethan Sampson, I believe, is coming over in a professional in a professional graduation, rather. So, to me, Belpedio, I believe, was re-signed as well. So, to me, you know, there's no more Zambula. There's no more Wyatt Wiley. Even he probably didn't play a major role. There's no more Cam York. So, unless maybe Ronnie Adderd starts the year in the AHL, I don't see anyone down there who could kind of surpass Emil Andre as the top dog. And kind of being the number one defenseman on a professional team in North America, I think that will do a lot for his development. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they're trying him on both the left and the right is certainly interesting. Like, I mean, from a long-term perspective, like obviously you could look at guys like maybe Granz and Samson and Bonk, but in the immediate future, aside from Ristolainen, I mean, Walker, I don't think is going to block anyone, you know, maybe Adderd as well, but I think that there would be a lot more options on the right than the left. But then aside from York, you have Igor Zamula, you have Travis Sanheim. So I think eventually they're going to have to try one of these left shot guys on the right. I thought maybe Igor Zamula would try that. Maybe stylistically it would work for him as more of a defensive defenseman type. But if Andre could learn to play both sides, kind of like what we saw with Cam York last year, it would certainly give them a lot more uh, flexibility and certainly more options. Yeah, I mean, I think York to his natural side this year and let yeah. him blossom even further. I think that's really important. Uh, Jay uh, messages in and says, uh, but Sanheim's going to be that bad 32-year-old contract with four years left when this team is in contention crew with short-term paying for long-term game. I, I know, you know, obviously the stock on Sanheim is down. He had a really, not a good year. Um, I, I was going to say erratic, but uh, he did have some moments where, you know, he looked like Travis Sanheim getting up in the rush, joining the rush, leading the rush. Uh, but overall, what not a good year for him. But when you look at that contract, I mean, look at the the Severson contract. Look at, you know, it's not when the cap starts rising again. That is not going to be a bad number for what he can provide. I mean, I I really think that that contract doesn't age as poorly as being, you know, people are saying right now. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, for sure. And you know, you look at other 
players in that tier who are signing contracts, defensemen more specifically, like Mackenzie Weger got that contract. Damon Severson got that contract. Like this isn't like an egregious contract number for what Travis Sanheim is. The only reason why it made sense to move on from him was because they're rebuilding and you probably, when you're rebuilding, want as few long-term deals as you can, you know, stomach. And you look at them move on from Kevin Hayes, Aside from Joel Farabee, they don't have a single forward signed beyond 2026. And I just think the Flyers really don't want overcommitments. Oh, yeah, Sean Couturier. I forgot about Sean Couturier. But uh, they don't – I just get the sense that they don't want overly long commitments to anyone on their roster right now because there are so many things in flux because you have so many guys – not even in the AHL yet. You have a lot of guys in the AHL who maybe by the end of this season or this time next year will be in the NHL. You know, I think aside from J.R. Avon and Ethan Sampson, they had no graduations from junior into the AHL. So there's a lot of th- balls in the air here. And there's a lot of things that can change. So I think for them, moving on from Travis Sanheim was more about long-term flexibility as opposed to what it was more of a, like an indictment of the player. Now, you obviously have heard that Maybe John Torrell wasn't his biggest fan. And I think at times you saw that last year about him, you know, playing less at times a healthy scratch. But I do agree that you look around the a- the NHL for second pair defensemen, which Travis Sanheim is. And, you know, $6.25 million is very digestible and very reasonable. Yeah. I think the other thing, do you, do you think there's still a chance that he could be moved? You know, we've heard that Calgary where he was scratched (laughs) where he played with the Calgary hitman Um, or, you know, another team may still be interested, you know, teams based on what they did or didn't accomplish in free agency. Now a pivot to go, okay, we didn't accomplish this, but we need this. So he's a guy that could still be in play. And, you know, would he waive? He's got some control now because the no, no trade clauses kicked in for four years. Well, that's the big thing, right? That now you can't just trade him to any team. Now there's going to be restrictions. Now he is a Western Canada boy, played junior hockey in Calgary. Obviously me and Anthony Sanfilippo reported that they had discussed him with Winnipeg. You know, we had heard that maybe going back two, three years, Winnipeg had interest in Ivan Provorov. Would they take a stab at Travis Sanheim now? And certainly they maybe welcome a guy who has a long-term uh, contract because so many guys don't want to play there and he's a Manitoba yeah. boy maybe that works out the hiccup there was that their first round pick was too high I, I don't think the Flyers are going to give Travis Sanheim away like I you see a lot of people that just say trade him for anything trade him for a third round pick or what have you I don't think that's necessarily the good thing because I do think that having Travis Sanheim here is beneficial because I just look at a Ronnie Adder or if Zamula moves to the right or eventually a Helgi Grons, whoever, I'd rather have Travis Sanheim here than whoever, like a, a Stahl or a Sealer, because I've seen it before. I saw Provorov play with McDonald. I saw Gossip Spirit play with Christian Folan. I don't want that to happen again. And, you know, I, the other day I was having a conversation with somebody and it's weird now that Rasmus Ristolainen was brought in here to play a lower role or a smaller role originally, and now he's probably going to be playing a role beside Cam York as that steady Eddie, which he kind of was last year. Small sample size, but we'll see if he can duplicate that in his second year under Bradshaw and John Tortorella. And I do think the fact that you have Rasmus Ristolainen to play alongside Cam York this year, which I presume is going to be your top pair, is beneficial. Because imagine if you had 
can York playing beside Travis Sanheim on his offside or yeah. Sean Walker or a Mark Stahl on his offside? Like that wouldn't help anybody. But I think Rasmus Ristolainen, like maybe not the best option in the world, but not a terrible option. I think having Sanheim on the second pair is beneficial if you have an Adder or Zambula or Helgi Grons eventually come up. Yeah, I, I would. I, I tend to agree with that as well. I mean, the decor is a big question mark and concern for me going into the season. You know, there's a lot of variables here. There really is a lot of variables that give me a little bit of uneasy, uh, an uneasy feeling. You, you know, Aunt Tyson Forster, watching him at development camp, he's been there a couple times now. Um, but, geez, does he just look ready? You see, you know, when they're doing any drills and with shooting the puck, when he shoots it, it's different. <laughs> I mean, he yeah. just, every shot, he just bombs it. And he... He looks like facially like he kind of lost his baby fat, his fitness looks. He looks more, you know, schvelt now than he ever has. And the maturity of his game and his first step is much more explosive than it was when he came in a couple of years ago. Um, to me, this is a guy that, you know, barring a disaster in camp and preseason, he's a lock to make this roster and, and play a significant role offensively for this team that has a hard time scoring. And, you know, there's a spot to be taken in that top nine right now. And I feel like him and Wade Allison are going to be battling head-to-head before that top nine role. And it may require one of those guys to play on their off wing. Obviously, we know they're stacked at right wing. And then you also look at returning Cam Atkinson. Like, is Cam Atkinson a lock to be playing every night? I'm not sure about that. Maybe because of the leadership role and what he can bring off the ice. Obviously, a history with John Tortorella. But even a Ryan Paling. Like, is it out of the question that Ryan Paling is your 13th forward and Scott Lawton is play, maybe playing 4C? And that would open up yet another role. So I, I think that... That depends on Couturier people, too, right? Sean Couturier is the same thing. And that's another thing. Like, we're assuming that everyone's going to be healthy. When has that happened over the last Don't 24 months for this yeah. team? You have Cam Atkinson, who hasn't played in a year. You have Sean Couturier, who, who will have gone like 22 months by the time he gets back on the ice for training camp. Like, I think that Tyson Forster will be on this team. And if that means that Wade Allison's your 13th forward or Ryan Paling's your 13th forward or whoever, or Cam Atkinson is used sparingly to try and ease him back in the lineup, ditto for Sean Couturier. Like, you still typically carry 13 forwards on your roster or even 14 sometimes. So I think he's going to be on this team. I think that he needs to be playing in the top nine. Like, a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, Garnet Hathaway's going to block him. I wouldn't want Tyson Forster playing fourth line right wing in any way. So I really don't see the point in that, but I understand that people would maybe jump to that conclusion, but look, the spot is there for the taking. You don't have guys who are locked and loaded to play who can't be bumped out. Like I think Konechny's going to play I, wingers. Of course, I'm not going to count centermen, but I think Konechny's going to play. Farabee's going to play. Tip. Tippett's going to play. But aside from that, yeah. is At- Atkinson a lock? Is Lawton a lock as a left wing in the top nine? Is Allison a lot like lock? No, for me, I think there's there's three spots that he could easily take right now. Yeah, I, I think he's ticketed. And we heard how Torts talked about him last year when he came up. Really liked what he saw, not only with the puck, but away from the puck as well. You know, I, I put out the quote from Danny Breer about tanking and needing players for guidance. And Chris Amos responded to me and said, the Flyers are collecting players who will never play for them. And so I said, like who? And he said, see the last two first rounds. 
I said, so Gauthier and Michkov will never play for the Flyers or Oliver Bonk. Explain why they won't play in the NHL. And he said, yeah, basically, you know, Cutter apparently is doing all he can to stay away. Cutter would have to pay his own freight, just played in the World Championships, is playing in another tournament coming up. I believe he's taking summer classes, so he can't come to development camp. But let me ask you about this mentality, Ant, of, you know, what are you kind of getting a read on the fan base right now? Because there's a lot of people that are elated over the moon because of Meechkoff and a rebuild, and there's other people that aren't buying it to rebuild. And, you know, like like that guy said in that tweet, you know, these guys aren't even going to play for the Flyers. Bullshit. Cutter Gauthier is going to play for the Flyers this year after his college season. Meechkoff's going to come over, and he's going to play. He's a motivated guy to come over here and play in the NHL. Uh, they did a lot of vetting on him. So what's your sense of where the fan base is right now? I Phil think Splinter? it's ca- I would say that it's cautious, cautiously optimistic with a lot of scar tissue. That's what I would think. And I think if you're cautiously optimistic because you've just been burned so many times going back to 2014 by Ron Hextall, I understand. I get it. It's been a tough decade. That's literally what this has been, a tough decade because essentially since the 2013 lockout this team has been on a downward spiral they've peaked a few times along the way like the first year under Barubi in 2014 then you got 17 18 but for the most part it has been a terrible terrible decade and i understand the scar tissue i'm someone who usually gives the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise you know guilty until or innocent until proven guilty and i think so far danny breer and keith jones have done an admirable job i don't think that they've hit like a home run and like oh man what a perfect offseason no there's certainly things that i think could have been better but there are a hell of a lot of things that could have been worse and to this point they've given me no reason to doubt them and you know it's not just Danny Briere, it's not just Keith Jones, it's also Dan Hilferty. And, you know, I've talked about it numerous times, and people like to burn Chuck Fletcher at the stake, and in some, in some instances, it's justified. But I think Dave Scott was a major issue with this team, for this franchise, rather. I think he was a major, major problem. And, you know, <laughs> the snake rots from the head down. And, I mean, maybe that's a bit of a too graphic of an analogy, but I really think that Dave Scott was a major, major issue. I've heard from people still within the organization that they hear the Chuck Fletcher slander and they're just like, you know, Chuck made mistakes, but he was never given the opportunity to do what Dave has given Keith and Danny. And I think that's completely valid. We know now that the senior advisors, not to say that they were puppeteer masters behind the scenes, but we know now that they're playing a lesser role than they ever have before. That was never the case under Chuck Fletcher. So that's why I'm giving such benefit of the doubt right now is because it's more than just the general manager that's different. It's more than just the president of hockey ops that's different. It's completely different from the top all the way to the bottom. And I think that so far they deserve the benefit of the doubt. Now, we're just, what, two months into this experiment? So a lot can change. It's a small sample size. They haven't been perfect, perfect, but they haven't done anything to make me doubt them so far. Yeah, you know, a lot of people think some of the moves have been egregious, not trade. You know, the rumor was there was a first and a second offer for Lawton. I don't know that that was inaccurate. ever an it was actual Yeah, I mean, I don't – people kind of look at the rumors sometimes and go, well, they didn't make that deal. They're, that's idiotic. I don't know that, like you just said, it's inaccurate. You've got a lot of sources. Uh, and then, you know, they should have traded Konechny. They should have traded Lawton. They should have traded Sanheim. They didn't trade any of these guys. This That's not a rebuild. 
So, you know, I, I don't want to tell people how to kind of feel going through this process. I think cautiously optimistic is a good way to put it. Like you see Briere, it's been impressive what he's been able to do. But ultimately, when the rubber meets the road, it's it's about results. And that's going to take some time. But I think people also see what's happened in places like Arizona, like what's happened in Buffalo or Ottawa that have been in perpetual rebuild forever. I got this message from Slim about the rebuild, and he said, that's a fine organizational message that you're not going to tank. But in practice, they need to be figuring out who among their young players is a keeper. And the best way to do that is NHL minutes. And I don't agree that the best way to find out what a guy is initially is NHL minutes. He's got to be ready for the NHL to me. And you also like, you can disagree with certain moves or non moves or decisions without saying, I have no faith in, in the team. Like, look for me, like one instance is that I think that maybe like, I, I know for a fact that they turned down a first round pick for Lawton. beyond that. I'm not sure, but at least one offer included a first round pick. I think it was the Toronto Maple Leafs. I can't say that with 100% certainty. I personally would have done it because I don't know if Scott Lawton's value from an on ice capacity is going to ever get better than it was this year. That's just my opinion. Now, just because they didn't trade Scott Lawton and I thought they should have doesn't mean that like now I think that they're completely useless and the entire trajectory of the franchise is flawed. I really think that they did a really good job so far. Was it perfect? No, but I think it was pretty good a pretty good job this off season. So you can say, yeah, I disagree with this, or maybe I would have done this, or maybe they're going to regret that without saying like, Oh, they're idiots. They're useless. It's groundhog day. Same old flyers. I think that maybe right now. And I think this is where the scar tissue comes in is where we get the extremes. Like, right. Like people who are super optimistic and they could do no wrong. And then some people who are on the other side of the spectrum that they could do no right, you know, short of saving world hunger or solving world hunger. So I do think that you could be skeptical of some moves and disagree with some without going so over the top and blaming the world on them. Yeah. Um, you know, people still are kind of falling into some of the you know narratives too. Oh, John Tortorella in year two, this is when his players, that left tweeter tweeted me, he said, his players hate him after two years. Uh, <laughs> I mean, geez, you know, you look at it, the guy has had longer tenure than anybody in the NHL. That's a head coach, average tenure. And I don't think that that's the case. There's a lot of turnover too. It's it's going to be interesting to see how this all kind of gets on the ice when training camp starts in September. But I feel decent about the forward group amp with, but obviously pending Atkinson and Couturier's health, which is a ginormous question mark. The D scares me. Let's talk about the goaltending. It drafted two goalies, Bjarnson and Igor, something or other. The Russian kid, they really <laughs> liked them both. Um, uh, those, a lot of people saw those draft picks and their immediate reaction was, oh, Carter Hart's getting traded. Those two draft picks are long-term five- to six-year um, assets, basically, when or it comes to goal. was drafted in 2018. Yeah, I mean, th th that's – yeah, Sands from 2015, right? Yeah. Not many point. guys get to the NHL as quickly as Hart did. Uh, but you do now have Cal Peterson here, who certainly needs to work on and redevelop his confidence in his game. And then you have Erson, who 
you know, played really well here last year in, in limited time and was a horse for Lehigh. He obviously has Sandstrom, who has to clear through waivers. Who are the two goalies when they break camp? Is it is it Hart and Erickson and Peterson and uh, Sandstrom have to go through waivers? I think you're. this is providing Carter Hart is there. Providing Carter Hart is there. I think your two goalies are probably Hart and Sandstrom again. That's my thought on it because I don't think you – I think Urson will start in the AHL to get that playing time. And I don't think you're going to weigh Felix Sandstrom in in favor of Cal Peterson because I think that you risk losing Sandstrom as opposed to Peterson. You could probably pass him through waivers half a dozen times and nothing, nobody will claim him, right? You can pay five mil. Exactly. So Cal Peterson is, he's been described to me numerous times now as a safety valve. So take that for what it's worth. Now, if Carter Hart isn't here, and that doesn't necessarily mean that he's traded, if you could read between the lines, if Carter Hart isn't here, I think then that's where it maybe gets a bit interesting. I think that it would probably be Sam Sam Urson and Felix Sandstrom, but I could also see it being Cal Peterson and Felix Sandstrom. I don't think they're waving Felix Sandstrom in any capacity. I think they like the goaltending depth they have right now. I think they last year they were kind of over a barrel sometimes because um, Grossnick. What, what was the Troy yeah Grossnick yeah. was hurt so often, so I think that they and they still like Sandstrom in a backup role. Like I don't think they dislike Felix Sandstrom, and for one more year him playing the backup role, I don't see an issue with that, especially given the fact that this team isn't looking to win right now. It gives you one more look at a guy who maybe even if he's just a backup, maybe he takes an Anthony Stollers type. Uh, trajectory i think you've used that uh, comparison a few mm-hmm. times that's still a success if he could be your in-house anthony stollers who cares your backup for the foreseeable future so i think sandstrom is here as the backup one way or another it just kind of depends what happens with carter hart yeah they do have less back-to-backs this year <clears throat> yeah but you still if you roster two nhl goalies and you got to play them both you just have to and you, you need depth at that position. And I think that may be the thing because Sandstrom could be claimed very easily because the pay, what he's making is not exorbitant. And teams are always looking for depth goaltending. If they have somebody go down, whatever the situation might be. So um, what do you think of Pittsburgh signing Jari? Let's look around the league a little bit, that deal. And, and what what Pittsburgh did so far. He got five years, 5.3. Is that yeah. it? I mean, I think for Stubis them, is blind spot goaltending. Yeah, he, he and then he signed Nadelkovich as the backup. I mm-hmm. think. I think that maybe they looked around the league and they thought that he was the better option. Like a lot of people had connected Demko to them, and that would have been really good. I think a bet an upgrade. I think Demko is a really good young goaltender, but I think that as far as free agents went, they didn't really see a better option. Like Brassois went back to Winnipeg. You had Reimer yeah. go to Detroit. Um, well, I mean, they could have had Matt Murray back. <laughs> so yeah. are you wondering what's going to happen there? I think for them, it was just a situation of, you know, is there a better option than Tristan Jari? I think the contract's a little rich, but I think Jari's a good goalie when he's healthy. He's another guy that's battled injuries. So I understand why Dubas went back to the well with Tristan Jari because maybe the, the, the field or what was available in free agency just wasn't uh, worth it to kind of move on there when you look at the teams in the metro 
who's the team that kind of jumped the most. It, it, Carolina is a very good team, period, end of sentence. You know, they are cup contenders yearly right now. Yeah. Um, they get Orloff. Do you think they help themselves enough here? They're still missing the same thing we've been talking about since they became yeah. an upper tier team, and that's a game changer offensively. Yeah. We still Aho's don't have very good, but yeah, he's like, and I still think he's a number one center all day long, but they don't have that game breaker. Now, look, you have Vladimir Tarasenko, who's been tied to them for since the beginning of free agency. You had Fried report, I think it was less than an hour ago, that he changed representation. So let's see how that resets the process. You've heard, I expect Tony D'Angelo to be traded back there in the next few days, July 8th or July 9th. That doesn't move the needle in the way of a game breaker offensively. You've heard them tied to Eric Carlson. Maybe that's the unicorn they need, the game breaker from the back end. But Carolina to me is just treading water here because they still don't have that top tier game breaker offensively um, that a lot of these teams do, whether that be uh, Jack Eichel or the way Marsha so played. And it just feels that every single year in the playoffs, the Hurricanes run out of steam because they lack that offense. Yeah, I didn't think that Brindamore had a great conference final as the coach. I thought he was a little too... He wore his emotions too much. He looked too stressed. And when the... When the boss or the captain looks that way, I think that yeah. trickles down. People panic, and I didn't think it was his best uh, performance in, in that situation. Eric Carlson has been tied to Pittsburgh. Eric Carlson's been tied to Carolina, and they're going to have to eat, uh, I guess, roughly 40% of that contract. It's, it's still a huge nut. I mean, maybe it reunites with Brent Burns, but um, I, I, I would be very leery of getting – being a team that acquires him. He had a great year. I mean, he was, I did not think he was capable of even close to that anymore. He had a great year, but are you going to get that again next year? And it also depends on the ticket. Like you said, 40%. It's that $8 comes million. out. That, yeah. $8 million. <laughs> so I've heard a lot of people say this. I believe it was Mike Johnson on TSN radio in Toronto mentioned this. If you could sign Eric Carlson as four years, $8 million per, would you do it? Probably. But then what are you willing to give up to get him for that? I think that's the snag. It's a cost per acquisition too, yeah. Exactly. It's not that you're just signing him in free agency. I think if you could take a free run at him and just give him the money and commit uh, $8 million for four years, it's not the end of the world. The issue is I think that maybe Mike Greer and the San Jose Sharks believe like, well, if we're making an $8 million player, we want a King's Ransom. Yep. I don't know if you could lean on that because there still is that inherent risk of injury with Eric Carlson. Yep. That... You know, he could go one year where he looks like the best defenseman where it's not even close, like we saw last year. Or then there's years where he could barely stay healthy. So, I mean, it's a weird situation. It's a sticky situation. I understand that San Jose wants to make the most on the asset and what they get back for him. And obviously another retention on a a contract that will last multiple years is a tough pill to swallow. They already are doing that with Brent Burns. But I just think that they maybe have to be realistic as to what the return would look like. Yeah, the return may not be as good. You're shedding the player. Yeah, exactly. That retention for four more years, and you're like you said, you're retaining them, or you can only retain on three players at a time. So that's going to be a a very tough situation. Um, Anybody else around the league jump out? Yeah, so my boy Alex Lyon signed to Detroit. They signed a ghost as well. 
Detroit's weird. I think they also signed JT Comfer five mm-hmm. by five. Yep. I'm kind of waiting for Detroit to take that step. I believe this is year that's going to be the fifth season that Eiserman is the general manager. Yeah. I don't think he's been exceptional at drafting. I think he's had some good picks, specifically Mort Sider, who I believe was his first ever pick as GM mm-hmm. of the Detroit Red Wings. I think that they've had some duds. Um, I mean, to this point, obviously Zadina was before Eiserman. But you look at maybe was Lucas Raymond the right pick? Obviously, still way too early to tell, but just in the short term, you know, Sebastian Cosa. But I, I'm just kind of waiting for them to take that major leap. You've heard them tied to Alex Debrinket going back to the beginning of the offseason. It feels like that's a match made in heaven. Like you said, they bring in Ghost, they bring in um, JT Comfer, they overhaul their goaltending now with Reimer, and I believe a line will be the third guy behind uh, Ville Husso. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of waiting for them to take that major step. Like they were kind of flirting with the playoffs at times, but I still just don't know if they have done enough to cement themselves in a, as an everyday playoff team. And, you know, it's two seasons or two off seasons now where Iserman's fairly active in free agency. Last year, he signed Ben Sherratt. He went out and he traded and then signed for Ville Husso. I believe also there was a forward. He, oh yeah. Um, David Perron. He brought yeah. David Perron last year. Um, now this year, we already ran through the signings. I'm just kind of waiting for that time where Detroit takes that step forward. And I just don't know if they've done enough this offseason again to ensure that that will happen. Um, last thing, Ant, and we'll wrap it up here. Let's rank the the eight teams in the Metropolitan Division based on how you think they're going to finish this year. I mean, From Carolina. Yeah, well, well, let's go, yeah, let's go best to worst. Is Carolina the top team or is it New Jersey? going to be the top team in this division. I think Jack Hughes is going to be a Hart Trophy finalist this year. Yeah. I think he's going to have a monster season. The only thing with New Jersey, again, is the goaltending. Mm-hmm. Like We heard them tied to Hellebuck. The goaltending just scares me. I think they're a really good regular season team. They'll probably finish first or second, kind of like what we saw last year. But if we're ranking towards in cup contention, I wouldn't have them there. Just because Carolina is the top team in the division. Probably Carolina, then the New York Rangers because of the goaltending. Yeah. Yeah. You get Shesterk in there and now you get. um, Lavi behind the bench. Yeah. Well, that's a huge fact. Who's the backup goalie they just signed in in New York? Why can't I think of it? Oh, uh, did they like, did they let go of Halak? Yeah. They, they signed. um, Let me see. Why? I can't think of it. New York Rangers. Um, I'll, I'll find it. I got it here. Oh, Jonathan Quick. Yeah, yeah, Quick. That's right. And yeah, agent so, Jonathan Quick. Yeah. Off another so cup. I, I like that defense. I like Lavi in there. Like, Lavi's always done well with highly skilled teams. And obviously, they yeah. have a lot of highly skilled forwards. Uh, a lot of guys with untapped potential like Kako and Lafreniere. And like we've seen with Lavi all the time, we saw it in Philadelphia with Pronger and Tiemann. We saw it in, in uh, Nashville with Subban and Yossi and Eckholm and Ellis. When he has the horses on the back end, specifically in the top four, that makes for a dangerous lobby team. And you have Fox, you have Lindgren, you have Miller, you have Truba. I, I think the Rangers, you could make the case that they'll be more dangerous in cup contention than uh, the Car- Carolina Hurricanes. You get some veteran presence in there with Blake Wheeler. Uh, I, I, I might lean more with the Rangers than uh, the uh, 
Carolina Hurricanes. And maybe that was me going back to the well. I picked them to win the cup last year before the season started, but I think the Laviolette edition is a very, very underrated. Yeah, Lavi in year one. He yeah. always pays dividends. He always does. And if Shisterkin is Shisterkin of two years ago, not that he was horrible last year, but if he's yeah. the Shisterkin of two years ago, forget about it. I'm stellar goaltending. I got this message from a guy that DMs me quite a bit, Matt, on uh, Twitter, and he said the Flyers should trade TK in a pick. He said, I trade the Panthers first personally too. Uh, that will cost that much for Alex Lafreniere. He said, I puke seeing TK in that jersey, but uh, Lafreniere is a guy that would make sense for the Flyers and can be a cornerstone of the franchise alongside Michkov and Gauthier. But I, just, I told him, I said, the Rangers aren't doing that. They can't, no. they're cap strapped. Yeah. They cannot take on uh, five and a half. <laughs> yeah, they can't do it. And a guy that's going to be doing a raise in two years, and they're not going to give up on the number one overall pick with a new coach coming in. I mean, part of the reason why Gallant got let go, I think, is to be for somebody to be the whisperer for Lafreniere and Kako to get them to the next step. Imagine if those two, and they, they get great lottery luck, and those two haven't really been a part of it uh, to help them. Okay, so you got, so I'll give you Rangers at the top, then Carolina, then the Devils. Uh, now you're going into this area, the murky middle. Are you going uh, the the fourth team? Are you going Columbus? Are they going to jump up, or is it going to be the Islanders, Pittsburgh, Washington? I mean, who are you going here with four? I mean, I kind of just want to go with Pittsburgh just because of the Crosby Malkin factor. And now you have a new guy at the helm with um, Kyle Dubas. But it's Washington doesn't inspire me. I know they added Edmondson. I know they added Pacioretty. It may be weird to say, and I'm probably going to regret this because of the goaltending, but I really like Columbus. I don't know why. I like what they did. Like Babcock could go either way. It's either going to be really good or really bad. You basically rebuilt your back end with Provorov and Severson. Is your check going to make the jump as a top four defenseman right away? You get a healthy Zach Warinsky. And then what kind of impact is Adam Fantilli going to have? How much better are guys like Line and Goudreau going to be because of Adam Fantilli? A lot depends on the goaltending. A lot depends on Elvis, but I really like their their additions on the back end. I like that Seriously. they're getting healthy. That guy Yurchek could be a big time player as early as this year, and Adam Fantilli could really change their franchise. So, may sound weird, but I think I'm going with the uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, their blue line is stacked, man. <laughs> big time. <laughs> it is stacked, and, and health is a big thing for them. Yeah, well, I mean, they were so banged up last year. It was disgusting. Uh, yeah. so, all right, so you got uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, who finished with last year with 59 points, 25 yeah. wins on the season. All right, so you got Columbus fourth. Are you going to go Pittsburgh, Washington Flyers for fifth? I'll, I'll probably go Pittsburgh just because of the, you know, the Crosby, the Malkin factor. I mm-hmm. really like, you know, you can never count those guys out. The, I think they just brought in Ryan Graves from the New Jersey Devils, if I'm not mistaken. Presumably, he checks the Brian Dumoulin box. Yep. Um, they brought, they just traded for Riley Smith, who just won a cup with the Vegas Golden Knights. So I'm just going to go with the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll see what they're, what the goal, t- if the goaltending can hold up. But Mike Sullivan, arguably the best coach in the NHL. Yeah, I'm just going to go with the safe pick with Crosby and Malkin, and then I'll probably go Washington right after that. Again, health is a big thing for them as well. But Pacioretty, could he be healthy? Joel Edmondson, a veteran ad on the back end as well. So probably Washington is number six. And then the Flyers uh, come in at the bottom. 
well with the Islanders. I could get the Islanders after that. Loose handing out <laughs> contracts and term like it's freaking Pez dispenser. Yeah, like the Islanders, man. Like you, you could easily put them for me, the Islanders and the and the Penguins and the Capitals are all kind of interchangeable. Yeah, I agree. Health. Like it's yeah. health. It's are guys gonna live up to their potential? Like, <laughs> I really like the top four for the Islanders. I like their defense in general. Polak, Pelek, Dobson, Mayfield, Romanov. That's a good defense. It's not exceptional, but it's good. You have one of the best goaltenders in the NHL. You probably have one, one of the best of tandems. tandems in the NHL. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They they just committed how many millions of dollars to uh, Simeon Volomov over four years? Five, I think, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, they're, I like that. And, you know, Barzal, I think, is one of the more exciting players in the NHL. Horvat, overpaid, but I still think that he's a good second-line center for sure. But after that up front, like Anders Lee, Brock Nelson, J.G. Paja, Paul Mieri, like it's you're kind of hoping that one of their younger guys takes that step. Who's that young? Wallstrom. But yeah, it's just I don't know if they have the offense. And, you know, you barely squeak in last year. And I think that was largely on the back of Ilya Sorokin. And you need good defense. You need great goaltending. But you, in the current day NHL, you need offense, and their offense just scares the shit out of me. Yeah, it's it's not. There's not enough depth there. All right, well, let's wrap it up there, Ant. We're getting close to an hour here. There was a lot to discuss. Uh, if anything breaks, we'll be back next week, and uh, we'll see where things go, man. Great work on the fourthperiod.com covering all the uh, twists and turns, and there's been a lot of them with this offseason so far. Really, since Chuck's been fired uh, back right after the trade deadline. Yeah. Uh, Redance work at the fourth period.com. Give him a follow on Twitter at a DeMarco 25. And everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Leave us a nice five star rating and review. We'd appreciate that as well. And everybody, enjoy uh, the hot, hot weather and uh, wear the tank top like Ant. Any final word, Ant? Um, enjoy your summer. I might be checked out for a bit for, unless there's breaking news. Maybe we'll check in here for the odd show here and there. But uh, I think you and I are both looking forward to some time off. Totally agree. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you next time on Stick to Hockey. The more of you that I inspect, the more of me I see reflect, the more I try to read your lips, the more the mask you wear rips. But when I seek out your voice, 